it was my privilege for 20 years as an evangelist. Actually, I was an evangelist for 30 years, but almost 20 of those years, I carried a traveling team with me. And over that period of time, about 20 years, I had 57 different people who traveled on our team. And out of that 57, 42 of them had graduated from Bob Jones University. So I, I, I knew what graduates were like. And one of the things that I've learned over my experience of working with college-age students is that one of the most important times in the life of a young person, in fact, is the most precarious and dangerous time of their year, of their life, is their first year out of high school. Because when somebody graduates from high school, no matter what we say in our minds, we're thinking they're done with school, it's time to grow up. And that's what happens at that age. And many times, young people between 18 and 22 years old are making some of the most important decisions about their life, direction, and in particular about their faith. And we know statistically that many young people who've grown up in a Christian home in regular attendance to a church often find themselves drifting away from God at that 19 and 20 year old mark. And that's why, a, that's why an education that it has a thoroughly integrated biblical worldview is absolutely crucial for young people today. That's why I'm sold on the ministry of Bob Jones University, and I know that there are other good Christian colleges that are out there, and so I'm going to wave their banner also. But since I'm the president of Bob Jones, that one's going to go a little bit higher. <laughs> but my point that I would like to emphasize to you as a parent is that we are living in a day and age where our young people are being threatened by secular, secularism, by materialism, and by, especially in American society today, a lot of corruption and immorality. And that's why it is so important that at that time frame, between 18 and 22 years old, their faith is strengthened, their morals are strengthened, and they get an education where they can go out in the world and make a difference. And that's why Bob Jones University still exists. The reason why pe young people come to Bob Jones is for two reasons. Number one, because of the quality of the education they know they're going to get. Because it's hard. And it should be hard. It's challenging. And secondly, because of the environment. The moment you walk on the campus, you know that this is not a typical college. Because the atmosphere is one that is godly. It's an atmosphere where, where we actually have a, a, a spirit of Christ on the, on the campus. It's an atmosphere where they have daily chapel, they have daily classes with prayer, they live in dormitories with other Christians and they're rubbing shoulders with them, they're serving the Lord, they're being, they're being motivated to go out and serve Jesus Christ. And this is a very crucial day and age in which we live in, and that's why I'm committed to young people. And so if you're a young person and you're thinking about the future, we would love for you to put Bob Jones University in your thoughts about the future and one of the best things you can do is to come down and visit us. It's the best way to get to know Bob Jones. I've had, I've had people say this over and over and over and over and over. We didn't know it was like this. And when they show up, it's just a life-changing experience. So love for you to come and visit sometime. <clears throat> well, with that in mind tonight, I'd like us to look at two very familiar scriptures this evening that have to do 
with us getting direction for our future. You know, I've learned that there is no time in my life where I don't sense that I don't need God's direction about my future. And whether you're a teenager or whether you're a young adult or whether you're middle-aged or even in your senior years, that we are in constant need of getting God's direction for our future decisions. And so I'd like us to look at these two very well-known scripture passages, these two well-known scriptures tonight, and I'd like us to actually take the verses and sort of unpack them, look at them as God gives his direction for us concerning our future. Notice what he says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Now, Lord, we pray tonight you'll bless your word and use it to strengthen your people that they will find your direction for their future in Jesus' name. Amen. I went to a school in South Carolina called the Citadel. It's a military school. I graduated from there in 1978. After my graduation, I went to Bob Jones University to, my, to seminary to prepare for the ministry. It was during my last year of my graduate school time that I had been actually asked if I would consider a position as a youth pastor in, the church, in a church up in the state of Michigan. To be frankly honest with you, I wanted God to give me one option so I didn't have to worry about two options. Well, God threw a curveball at me because I had another option come at me my last year of graduate school where I was in a place where I had to make a decision between these two options and to find out what God wanted me to do. And really it was one of those times in my life where I was learning how to get God's direction for my future. Everybody in this room are constantly making decisions about your tomorrow. And the Bible tells us that God actually directs His people. He shows His people what it is that He wants them to do. And so tonight, I want us to look at these two verses and really seek to understand how it is that God directs His people concerning their future. And tonight, we see in these two verses basically two commands, and then He ends up with one basic promise. The two commands that we're to follow, and then the promise of what God will do for us. And notice the first command, He tells us, in verse 5, he says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. What does God tell us to do in order to find direction for our future? And the first thing he says is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean to your own understanding. So what does he mean then by the word trust? Now, you heard it testified tonight by these students. And you know, it's really easy for the word trust to be sort of what we call religious jargon. It's sort of just kind of words that Baptists use. And they get used to using those words. So let's go down into the meat of the meaning. What does it mean to trust God? The word in the Hebrew means to cling to, to confide in. 
It's someone who is setting their hope or their confidence in another. It also has the idea of being persuaded or being won over. Now I am assuring, I'm, 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 I'm fairly certain, and I haven't had any conversation with anybody in this church about your decision about the politics of our day and who you're going to vote for for the President of the United States. But I would probably feel safe in saying that in this political season that there are many of you who have been won over to one candidate. Whoever that is, and you don't have to tell me who that is. Somebody is going to receive your vote. Somebody you have decided to trust your vote with. The idea of trust then means to be won over. And the Bible says that we are to trust in the Lord. The direction of our trust is towards the Lord. We have been won over and persuaded to put our dependence in the Lord. Now notice the word Lord, if you will, and notice the letters. Do you notice something unusual about the letters? What are the, what, what is it that you see? Trust in the what? The Lord. What do we see about the letters? They're all what? They're all capitalized. Now whenever you see the word Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, it is referring very specifically to the personal name of God. It's used 6,800 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. And the word is the word we often translate Jehovah, or some would translate it the word Yahweh. It's God's personal name. Now, what does that name mean? Do you remember when the Lord appeared to Moses in a burning bush and God said, you're going to deliver the children of Israel from the land of Egypt? And Moses said, when I go to my people and they ask me, what is God's name? What am I supposed to say? And God spoke out of the burning bush. And do you remember what he said? He said, I am that I am. The word I am is the word for the name of the Lord. It's the meaning of the name. What it simply means is this, I'm the only one that exists. Because remember, the Jewish people were living in the land of Egypt and the Egyptians had their gods and their gods had names and their names had meaning because they were a particular kind of gods. Here's what God is saying. All those gods that the Egyptians trust in don't exist. I am. I am the God who exists. I am the one who depends on no one for my existence. I am the God who created everything out of nothing. And I want you folks to know that I am the God who can supply every need you have along your way of life as you learn to come to trust me. So to trust in the Lord means to be won over to the all-sufficient, self-existing God he is the God that you can trust in because He is the God who exists on His own. He made it all, He controls it all, and He sustains it all. Furthermore, we come to the New Testament and we learn something very interesting. That Jesus in the New Testament is actually Jehovah of the Old Testament. 
You say, how do you know that? John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, what? I am. What is Jesus saying? Every time you read Lord in the Old Testament, you're reading about Jesus of the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, Jehovah had compound names. Now, I have compound names, just like you do. My name's Steve. That's my personal name. Okay? So everybody calls me Steve. But I also have compound names, like some people call me Dad. Some people call me Uncle. Some people call me brother. Some people call me doctor. One person calls me baby cake. <laughs> so I have compound names, and those compound names represent who I am and what I do. All right, do you know that God has compound names? For example, in the Old Testament, he has the name Jehovah Jireh. You know what that means? The one who will provide. But we fast forward to the New Testament and, it's, and Jesus of the New Testament is Jehovah of the Old Testament. And listen to what the New Testament says. My God shall supply all your needs according to, my, to his riches and glory by who? By Christ Jesus. So what Jehovah does in the Old Testament, Jesus does in the New Testament. For example, in the Old Testament, his name is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who gives us peace. We come to the New Testament, John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. In the Old Testament, he's called Jehovah Rophe, the Lord that heals his people. And what do we discover about Jesus in the New Testament? He's the great physician, for he made the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear, and he raised the people from the dead and he delivered people from the demons. So Jesus of the New Testament is Jehovah of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he's called Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. And what does Jesus say about himself in John chapter 10 and verse 11? He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So here's the point I want to make tonight. That everything God is in the Old Testament, Jesus is in the New Testament. And, they, and, and both Jesus and Jehovah, because they're one and the same, are the ones who say, I have come to meet the needs of my people. So that whenever you face a need, what you actually need to do is to see the Lord. For your need is intended to point you to the Lord. All right, let me illustrate it this way. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elisha who had a servant. Elisha and his servant. They were in the city of Dothan, and in the middle of the night, the enemies called the Syrians and their leader named Ben-Hadad came and surrounded the city. The next morning, the servant of the man of God, Elisha, rises up early in the morning and he goes outside the city to get water. And when he goes out, what does he see? He sees the army of the Syrians and their horses and chariots all surrounding the city. And what does he do? He panics. And he goes running back in and he says to Elisha, he says, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? 
And what does Elisha say? He says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prays, now listen to this, and he says, O Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. And the Lord opens the eyes of the servant and he saw, and what did he see? He saw the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What does that mean? It means this. They saw, the servant saw with his own physical eyes the enemy, but God opened his eyes to see the chariots of angels surrounding the city, protecting the people of God. And when he saw his own need, what he really needed to see was he needed to see the Lord. When the Bible says to trust in the Lord, what it means is you take your needs and you cling to the one who is the great I am who is able to meet your needs. And that's what we learn to do. We learn to cling to God for the needs that we have in our life for God is the one who is able and sufficient to meet those needs. Trust in the Lord and then notice he says with all your heart. Here he's talking about the depth of your trust. It is to be with your whole inner self, your mind, your will, and your emotions. To trust in the Lord means that your heart is yielded to him. Now, there's an important, important point here, here. And that is, whenever you have a need in your life, what are the natural inclinations of your heart? Whenever you have a problem that arises in your life, what arises in your heart? What's the normal emotions that come out of the human heart in the time of need? Well, number one, fear, worry, anxiety, panic attacks. How many of you ever worry? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Why do you worry? Because needs arise. But not only is there fear and worry, but there's also human planning and scheme because human nature tries to fix, resolve, and solve the problem and the need at hand. This is particularly true when you and I go through disappointments. Your plans fall through. You don't get what you hope for. Your expectations go unfulfilled. And so what's the result? Your heart is agitated with confusion and fear and disappointment. So what do you do? You scheme to try to fix it. Here's what God is saying. Trust in the Lord with all your heart means to submit your heart to God. It means to surrender your desires, surrender your purposes, surrender your plans, and put your choices into God's hand. I'm not trying to manipulate God to get my own way, but I'm submitting to God and depending on God in order to find his way be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus do you know what prayer does for you it doesn't necessarily give you what you want but it guards you from seeking after things you shouldn't want 
because you learn to trust in the Lord and you give the natural inclinations of your heart back to God. This sermon I'm preaching right now, I preached on Monday to our student body. All right? On Tuesday, I had to put it into practice. We've been living in a house on campus at Bob Jones University. It's a very small house, just a little over 1,000 square feet. And we've lived there for the, two, for the two years. The school has decided that they, they would like to buy us a house for the president of the school uh, off campus, not too far away from the campus, instead of building one on campus. So my wife and my daughter specifically have been looking for a house that they think would fit us for a long time. And I don't know what it's like in, in Indianapolis, but right now in Greenville, the market for housing is very, very hot. You put a house up, and most of those houses are being sold in two or three days because Greenville is just booming and growing. Well, we have looked at a number of houses, and we kind of walked in, and we went, nah, this just, just doesn't fit us. On Tuesday, a house came up for sale, and it had been up for sale for about a day. And uh, my wife looked at it and she said, ah, we probably, probably won't do that. It's, it's more than we could, you know, more than we could do. And then my wife said, you know, I think I should go out and look at it. And so we went out and looked at this house. It was about 10 minutes from the campus of Bob Jones University. And we walked in the house. My, my daughter was there. My two sons were there. My daughter-in-law was there. My grandson was and we walked in the house, and everybody looked at each other and said, this is it. And, and, and this is the truth, and you'll understand this. We did not have a lot of strong emotional desires for a house until we saw that one. And before we knew it, we were all thinking, this is our house. Well, we found out that day that a couple had flown into Greenville to look at that house, and they had already seen the house twice that day, and our thought was, we're going to beat them to the punch. Well, I had to go through, I won't go through the process to tell you, explain the process, but those people um, made an offer on the house, and an hour later, we made an offer on the house, and our offer and their offer were comparable. And so we were waiting for them to give us an answer, and the next morning I got the answer. And the answer was <clears throat> that because in our offer, it was contingent on the approval of the board of Bob Jones University, they decided not to go with us, and they went with the other couple. How many of you have ever been disappointed? <laughs> I was like, Lord. I'm trying to serve you. <laughs> These people don't need the house. We need the house. <laughs> and your natural inclination, do you understand? Do you, do you, do you feel my pain? <laughs> when the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, what does that really, really mean? It means that your emotions are set aside, and you cling to the Lord. Well, we all knew the right response. God is in your hands. 
but in our heart we're going, ah. Trust in the Lord with all your heart does not necessarily mean that you feel it. And in some ways it's the opposite of feeling it. You're actually clinging to the Lord within your heart, looking to the Lord no matter what you naturally feel. How do you get God's direction for the future? You have to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And notice what he says, and lean not to thine own understanding. Now what does that mean? Well, the word lean was derived from the practice of kings who were accustomed to appearing in public, leaning on their friends and their ministers. The idea is that they were trusting them. Lean not to your own understanding. The word understanding means the plans you formulate and the insight that you have to accomplish something. It means to employ legitimate means to pursue our own legitimate ends. Proverbs is not saying that we are not to use our own understanding, but that when we do use it, we are to rely upon God and His overruling providence. It means you don't make plans. It doesn't mean that you don't make plans. It doesn't mean that you don't seek a particular direction. But what it does mean is that in all of that, God's overruling providence controls everything. For example, there was a king in the Old Testament. His name was Asa. Okay? Listen to what the Bible says. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa got a disease in his feet. And the disease was very, very severe. And the scripture says, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but he sought help from the physicians. And then it says, And Asa slept with his father, fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. Question, is it, was it wrong for Asa to seek the help of a doctor? Yes or no? No, it was not wrong. Was it wrong for Asa to not seek the Lord as he was seeking help from the doctors? Absolutely. To trust in the Lord with all your heart does not mean that you don't make plans. It doesn't mean you don't go to a doctor. What it does mean is you go to the doctor with complete dependence ultimately on the Lord. My wife was diagnosed the first time with cancer in 1999. My wife got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. At the exact same time my wife got cancer, the king of Jordan, King Hussein, got the exact same cancer. He flew to the United States of America to the Mayo Clinic in, in, uh, in Minnesota. Within one year, the king died. My wife didn't have, obviously didn't have any better doctors than the king of Jordan. And when we met with the doctor, this is exactly what I told the doctor. I said, doctor, I'm thankful for you. I appreciate you, but you're not God. And I'm not depending on you to do what only God can do because you only know what you know and what we know about the human body still isn't that much compared to what God knows. So we're going to go the normal course of doing what we ought to do, but the whole time we're trusting God. That was 17 years ago. And this past year, my wife went back to the doctor who was her original oncologist in Denver, Colorado, 
And when she walked in, there were nurses that were there who, were, who knew my wife from 17 years ago. And when they saw my wife, one lady started crying and said, I can't believe you're still alive. And I'm going to tell you why I believe my wife is alive. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. I am not smart enough, folks, to figure it all out. And by the way, neither are you. No man can fully know his way. How do we get God's direction for our future? You're a teenager. You're graduating from high school. May I say to you tonight, the greatest mistake you'll ever make in your life is to make plans for your future and not trust in the Lord with all your heart. I mean, I'm on, all right, let me shoot straight with you. That's stupid, dumb, foolish, ignorant. I can't think of any other words to describe it. Because God is willing to lead you and guide you, but you have to trust in him with all your heart. So what are we supposed to do? We're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. That's the first thing. But there's a second command. Now watch this. And he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He begins with the extent of what you are to acknowledge. He said, in all your ways. What does that mean? It is an expression that covers the whole area, all the areas of your life. Everything. Your actions, your undertakings, and everything you do, materially, spiritually, relationally. All things, both in public and in private. This is important because it guards us against acknowledging God just either in a great crisis or in a solemn act of worship only. In other words, it guards you against being a Sunday morning Christian and a crisis Christian. Have you ever noticed how people pray when problems show up? Well, let me tell you something, brother. You're supposed to be praying all the time. You are to trust God for everything in all your ways, you're to acknowledge him. So what does it mean to acknowledge God? Well, the Hebrew word is actually a very interesting word. It means to know or to recognize God. It means, first of all, to recognize God's presence. To recognize God is here. God is with us. God is now. God exists. God operates within my life. God overrules and God providentially controls without faith it's impossible to please God for him that cometh to God believe that he is and that he rewards those that diligently seek him what is true faith it believes in the reality of God's existence God is here and God will reward those who pursue after him and seek after him one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament about the, the, the eminence of God's presence is the story of Abraham who goes to his servant Eliezer and he says, I want you to go get a bride for my son Isaac. And Abraham gives Eliezer great confidence. He says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, he said, he will send his angel before you. Abraham gave Eliezer confidence. 
And do you know the story? Eliezer got together and he took off and went north. He went up to what, what was known as Mesopotamia, up in the northern part around Syria. And there he goes into a village. And there he begins to pray and he says, Lord, you are the God of my master Abraham. He said, grant me success today. Show your steadfast love to my master Abraham. And then he prays a very specific prayer. He says, when I stand by the well of water, and he said, when the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water, because the women were the ones that drew the water to feed the animals, he said, let the woman who is coming to help me draw out my water, let that woman be the one that you want to marry Isaac. And who comes out and starts serving him? A lady named Rebecca. It's a marvelous story. And what is the response of the servant? He praised God. It says he bowed his head. He worshiped the Lord. He blessed the Lord that God had not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards Abraham. And he says, I being in the way, the Lord led me. What does it mean to acknowledge God? It means to recognize and to acknowledge the presence of God in all that we do. I remember the first time I met my wife, I thought, wow, she is beautiful. And when she sang, she sounded angelic. I thought, man, I think I like I think I'd like to marry her. And I remember the first time I met her, I said, but Lord, I only want, I only want to marry who you want me to marry. And then the first time I went on a date with her, I thought, I really want to marry her. And all along the way in our relationship, we prayed for the Lord's direction. Now, I didn't, I didn't manipulate her and say, I believe it's God's will for you and I to get married. I never did that. Okay? By the way, gentlemen, that's called manipulation. All right, Don't use God to get your own way. So if I hear a college student doing that to one of our girls, I go, that guy, I said, that's, that guy's manipulating you. Don't let anybody manipulate you. You pray to God and don't tell everybody else. And I just prayed. I said, Lord, if this is what you want, I, I, I'd like this. But God, I want to do your will. I acknowledge God all the way up to the wedding altar. And the whole time saying, God, I want your way. I recognize your presence. But the word acknowledge is even deeper than that. Because it's the exact same word that is used in Genesis 4.1 when it speaks of the intimate relationship between Adam and Eve. And in that intimacy, it produced their firstborn son named Cain. And so Genesis 4.1 says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. The word knew Eve is the word acknowledge. And what it means is, it not only do I recognize God's presence, but I have a deep, intimate relationship with God. 
where I'm growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And we are to have an intimate relationship with him. What does it mean? It means someone who is praying, someone who is reading the Bible, somebody who is worshiping the Lord, somebody who day after day after day after day is getting to know the Lord better. We know this is true in marriage. One of the great keys to marriage is you get to know each other. You figure each other out. You understand their likes and dislikes. And you know what to do and you know what not you should do. And the same is true of God. The more you get to know God, the more you understand what He's like. And if you understand what He's like, you know what He wants. So what are we to do? We're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We're to lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways, we're acknowledging him. So we trust in the Lord. We acknowledge the Lord. And then what is the result? And he tells us as we finish tonight, and he shall direct thy path. That is, he will direct you in your way. Do you know that your way is probably not my way? Because God has a unique path for all of us. When the Lord Jesus told Peter how Peter was going to die, he looked at him and he said to Peter, follow me. Do you remember what Peter did? He looked over at John and said, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, if I want him to stay alive till my coming, he says, that's my business. That's not your business. And then he looked at him and he said, you follow me. God had a different path for Peter. Peter was to go this way. John was to go this way. But both of them were to go God's way. He will direct your path. What he wants you to do. And that word direct literally means to make the way smooth. You ever been on a bumpy, bad road that needed to be smoothed out? Or have you, have you seen how roads are constructed? fact is, I was uh, telling your pastor today when we were driving down here, and he showed me, a, was it a Kroger that's going to go up? Okay. And <clears throat> I looked around at the plot of land where they're going to put a little shopping center here. You know what my first thought was? They're going to have trouble. You know why? Because these roads aren't big enough. How many of you already know the roads out here are not big enough? Okay, yeah. And if you don't know they're not big enough, you haven't been paying attention. Because you know what? You're already having traffic jams out here in the middle of the, you're out here in the middle of the country and you're having traffic jams. So you know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to fix the roads. The word, and he shall direct your path, means he will make the way smooth. He will fix it. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will lead you in the way that he wants you to go. God will direct his trusting people in a way where you don't have to force it. It's not like sticking a square peg in a round hole. You don't have to, you don't have to force God's will. He will guide you. He will make it clear. He will make it evident to you. When I was asked to be the president of Bob Jones University, I had a pretty significant problem 
that had to do with a home that I owned up in northern Wisconsin. For nine years, I was the camp director of Northland Camp and Conference Center, and I resigned in 2010, and I worked through the summer of 2011. But in 2010, I put my house up for sale. And you know how it is when you put your house up for sale, you, you think about what you're going to do with the money you make on the house. You understand what I'm saying? So when we put our house up for sale, the first thing my wife and I thought we would do is we might move to Denver, Colorado because there was a ministry out there I was going to work with. Well, a year went by and <clears throat> nobody even hardly looked at our house. And by that time I changed my mind. I thought, no, I'm not going to go out there. And then my wife and I started about started thinking about buying a condo in Florida. You know, my belief is that I want to live in 70 degree weather 365 days a year. And the best place for that for at least part of the year is Florida. So we had already thought this year if we sell our house, we're going to buy a condo in Florida. Guess what? Never sold the house. We hardly had anybody look at it. In four years, we didn't have more than five people look at it. And I mean, this was a beautiful place. This was 40 acres. We had a seven-acre lake. We had a ranch-style home. I mean, it was out in the middle of the woods. The only problem was it was in northeastern Wisconsin. You know who wants to live up there? Bear. <laughs> Deer. Coyote. Nobody else, hardly. And then the next year went by, and we started working with a church in Atlanta, Georgia, and we thought, we're going to move to Atlanta. We're going to sell the house and move to Atlanta. And nobody bought the house. And then in 2014, March 26, I was asked to consider the presidency of Bob Jones University. And in my prayer to the Lord, I said, Lord, I do not know your will, and I don't need signs from heaven to know you exist. I know you exist. But, but Lord, I'm not sure you want me to go to Bob Jones, and if you would, I said, a little providence will work for me. And I said, Lord, I really do ask, that you'll help me to sell the house. And in one month, we had a contract on the house. And folks, had I sold that house any other time, I would have bought a house in Atlanta, Florida, or Denver. You know where God wanted me to go? He wanted me to go to Greenville, South Carolina. So trusting in the Lord actually meant a delay. But a delay in his will is never a delay. It's the perfect time. And we sold that house, and in June, we went up, closed on the house, and we moved the house. We had people from Bob Jones with two trucks come up. They loaded it up. They took it down. They unloaded it. They put the furniture in my house. And you know what? I didn't do one thing to help them. It was glorious. <laughs> because you know why? I had to do my job. They, they said, we we're going to do this for you, so you can do this. And over and over, folks, I've learned that you have to learn to let God work in your behalf. So as we finish tonight, what is God's direction for your future? Number one, commit yourself to the Lord. Number two, spend time with God in prayer. Number three, let God work in your behalf. Number four, look at what it is that God is doing. It's not that you don't do anything, but you're trusting in God in the process. Then make the right choices based on the clear leadership of God, and then don't second-guess yourself. Make your decision and follow the Lord. And God has direction 
for his trusting people. May we bow our heads together for prayer tonight.